Jeff. It is July 21st, 2021. All right, Dave, this is great. It's always a blast for me personally when Brett Boone is here because I start getting fired up about three days before because we always say Booney played. Booney sees a different game. And uh, I was thinking about this Brett driving in because the other night Dave and I are at uh, the Big A. We're up there watching Seattle and, and the Angels. And there's a great story that goes around from people that worked for Vince McMahon from the WWE. And if you work for Vince McMahon and he sees you yawn, he considers that a sign of weakness, which made me laugh because I have my own. If I'm driving and my ears pop, I I feel like, what the fuck is that? What is that? I hate it. So the other night we're at the Big A, we're behind home plate, and the pitcher for the Mariners keeps going to his hat because he's looking at the index card that he has in there. And I'm wondering for you as a hitter, you always, you never showed emotion, you're calm, you've got it all under control. But for you, knowing you as competitive as you are, was there anything that you remember when you dug in that you looked at and said, man, that feels like a sign of weakness, like I might be in his head. Do you remember any particular incidents? Oh, as far as as the pitcher knowing yeah, that like, I, that the, you're the pitcher at knowing that I know that yes. you know like, that keep I know. Keep looking at your card, asshole. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. <laughs> no, and and I I talk about it a lot, and I, I'll mention it to whoever's within an earshot of me when I'm watching a baseball game. Is it, it's it's something when you, when you're walking to the plate, and and I did it both ways because there were pitchers that had my number, knew they had my number. Knew that I knew they had my yeah. number. But yet, I'm on deck going, how am I going to fake him out? Mm. Walk into the plate. Yeah. So I'm going to give it my extra suave walk. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm going, he ain't buying it. <laughs> and I'd get in the box, and sure enough, he, he usually strike outside corner. You know, he could have walked three guys in front of me. Yeah. I come up, there's just something about that matchup at that particular time where we both kind of know, and he's going to paint me first oh, pitch on the outside corner. Yeah. Now, quite the reverse as well. There's times where I'm on deck, and that pitcher knows that I'm on deck, and mm-hmm. he doesn't want me to be on deck. That's a good feeling as a hitter. Sure. The The only sign I can see from a pitcher or a tick or a nervousness is a – and it's it's not a funny thing. It's just – it's a pulled fastball. It's mm-hmm. a fastball that's scared. I got to the top of my release point, and I just yanked that thing low and away in the dirt. Kind of like when they were pitching around Bonds. Yeah. If you get a pitch like that, big league pitchers don't miss like that with a fastball. They might spike a slider. might spike a curveball. You know, they might get some extra. Sorry. We're, we're in this uh, – in this zone of what what are they calling it the spider tack yeah well maybe they got a little too much spider tack so they'll tack a slider but when they throw that scared i used to call it a scared fastball foot foot and a half off the plate in the dirt i got you because unless you slipped unless you caught a spike Mm -hmm. there's no big league pitcher on earth that's going to miss like that low and away that's a scared fastball that's interesting that's a tell i fucking love that yeah because brett now all of a sudden you know why i love that dave i'm sorry no no problem because now people are going to watch games and that's just one little thing that they look at just a quick follow-up is he pulling it brett because right before the release point you're in his head and just that smooth motion it's a little bit like a hitch in a golf swing yeah it's almost like a it's almost like a um 
the yips in yeah. golf. It's kind of like, I don't want to face this guy. You know, I got to throw a strike. I need to throw a strike here. I get to the top of my delivery point. I don't want to throw a strike here. You know, and, and we talked as I came into the to the show tonight. We talked. I just threw out a first pitch in Seattle, and that's your worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost, and I hate to say it, I don't like like to make light of these things because I fortunately never went through it. But the Chuck Chuck Knobloch syndrome, yeah. and when I go out to throw the first pitch, although I'm pretty confident, yeah, there's always that thing of don't pull that fastball at the right. last minute. And and that's how you know because I know that's that's what it is. It's a scared fastball. It's a I'm confident I'm going to throw out the first pitch. It's a oh no, it's not. <laughs> and, and thank goodness to this point, I've probably thrown out ten since I've retired. Okay, I haven't spiked one yet. Not a kid. Good, good, good deal. <laughs> you know when I watch baseball today because it it has changed a lot, and I'll ask you you know later on what's the biggest changes, but. When I'm watching as a fan today, as we're doing the show right now, we're watching the, the Dodger-Giant game and, and it's a battle for first place in the National League West. But it drives me nuts when the big bat beats a team. Like, it seems like the people sitting at home, and I understand whether it's Dave Roberts or it's Gabe Kapler or Jace Tingler, anyone else, that your job's to sit there and win games. And a lot of it's made from management ahead of time on how you're going to pitch to certain guys. But, for instance, I was watching the Padre game today, game one of the doubleheader. And Tatis cranks a, a mass, massive home run, and the Padres win the game. Well, Tatis obviously is the big bat. And you go, how can you let Tatis beat you if you're the Atlanta Braves? When you played, has it changed as far as the attitude, don't let the big bat beat you? Because it was definitely like that when Bonds played, that they would pitch around him. And also, do you remember who was there behind you to protect you through your playing career of saying, I'm going to get better pitches because they understand Hey, I'm a guy that can put it over the fence, but at the same time, it's either you pitch to me or you pitch to the guy behind me. What well, I think as far as, the, without a doubt, and, and I would say still today, you, you know, you have a pitcher's meeting, you got a hitter's meeting, a pitcher's meeting for each, each series. And there's always a consensus in the room is we're not going to let X for this, you know, for this show, it, depending on the team, obviously. We're not going to let him beat us ever. Now, circumstances come up the bases are loaded there's nowhere to go the 11th inning in a 2-2 game what are you going to do you got to pitch to him but anything short of that that man will not beat us so we're not necessarily going to intentionally walk him but we're going to pitch around him we're not going to give him a strike to hit um today's game man it, it is and it's so different uh there's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's changed for the most part. I still think you know who the guys are. Um, depends on your staff. Depends on your team. Depends on the, the situation of the game. You mentioned the, the hitter behind you. Yeah, the hitter, the thing that, that is a misnomer in this game is, oh, he's hitting second in front of so-and-so. He's going to get a lot of fastballs. Okay, that's a layman take. Mm-hmm. That's something, yeah, at the, at the high school level, at travel ball level, yeah. If you got a big bopper behind you, why is he going to get more fastballs? He's going to get more fastballs because at that level, that's the only pitch that, or the best pitch the pitcher has to control to throw a strike. The big league level, and especially the elite pitchers, they can throw a strike with any pitch yeah. anytime they want. So... If I've got Barry Bonds hitting behind me, it doesn't mean I'm going to get all fastballs. It means I'm going to probably get all strikes. But if I'm a if I'm a big time fastball hitter and Barry Bonds, it doesn't mean they're going to throw him down the middle because we're so scared of Bonds. They just so aren't going to walk you, right? Yeah. Exactly. 
exact. They're not going to pitch around me. They're going to come at me. If if that big of a hitter, a Barry Bonds, is behind you. Now, I got the second half of my career, especially. I either had Edgar Martinez or John Olerud behind me, which was tremendous uh, protection. Johnny, because he was left-handed, and unless they had a lefty on the mound, it was pretty predictable how I was going to be pitched. It's like, and we'd go over that, and we'd have talks, and these are the things that I learned throughout the course of my career that, man, I wish I knew when I was 21 years old, but it was a major meeting. I mean, there'd there'd be a pitching change going on. I'd have the guy, whoever was hitting in front of me and who's hitting behind me, we're going to have a conversation. Hey, what's your... You know, what's your history with this guy? What what have you done recently? How do you feel off him? Oh, Booney, you know, I I hit him okay. Okay, I got that intel right there. I'm going to go to Edgar. Let's let's call Edgar. He's hitting behind me today. Edgar, what's your history with him? Booney, I've worn this guy out. How about you? Ah, I'm doing okay. I'm probably 250 career off him. Okay, intel right there is Edgar's worn him out. He's on deck, base open. That pitcher knows his history with Edgar. He's probably want to, he wants to come after me in this situation. I know that going in as a hitter. That gives me an advantage. If it's reversed and Edgar, for example, says, man, he's, he's really been tough on me, haven't done too much, maybe I've had some success. I know in that situation, he's more likely to pitch around me to get to Edgar. So you pick your evil, but you got to find out you got to get your intel done before so you can formulate an approach at the plate. You know, Brad, I swear, for somebody who loves this game, talking with you, it's great. You geek out. Because the thing that you just said, the the steady diet of fastballs, right? You think about it, you go, oh, yeah, we've we've heard that. We all buy into it. And it makes such perfect sense because we've seen guys that can't hit the slider. And if Barry Bonds is on deck and I can't hit the slider... Yeah, I'm not going to see fastballs. I'm going to see goddamn sliders across the plate because they're going to get me out of there. Uh, I love that. Uh, one other thing that Dave and I saw at the Big A that fascinated me that you don't really see on TV is the interaction in the first inning between the batter and the home plate umpire. And it felt like it was almost a sign of respect. The guy would come up. I saw it from both teams. I saw it at a Padre Diamondback game. We had great seats. And Dave and I saw it at the Angels Mariners. And I, I really thought it was kind of cool. Guys came in, they maybe acknowledged the catcher, but it was like a little bit of a respect. Maybe it was a, bump, a fist bump, it was a nod, and it was something I wasn't familiar with even watching the game this long. Can you talk about that, Brett? Is that something as you go in? What is expected? What is code? What's protocol? For addressing the home plate umpire, is there even a code or protocol? Because it sure felt like every guy paid their respect to the guy behind the plate. I don't think there, there's a code. I don't think anything's expected. But by the time you reach the big leagues, and, I, and when I talk to young players, especially minor league players, especially minor league players at a low level, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even college, high school, if you want to get really smart, the umpire is your friend. Mm-hmm. And if you plan on playing in the big leagues for a long time, if you notice, a lot of the umpires stick around longer than us players. So I, I made a conscious effort as a young player to be friends with these guys. Yeah. Doesn't mean I have to love everyone, but a nod, a wink, a, hey, Johnny, how you doing? Hey, where'd you go to dinner last night? That goes a long way. Now we've got a dialogue, okay? I know that guy. I had an advantage because I was a second baseman. So each, 
every day I've got an umpire in the middle of the diamond that I have access to, and we can have dialogue during the game. And sometimes if Joe West is out there, we're talking about how fat he is. He's, talk, <laughs> he's talking about how short I am. But that was our way of being cool with one another. Yeah. You know? And not that these guys get outside their bubble and try they, they still tr- try to remain as professional as they can, but we're all human beings. Sure. And if that second base umpire truly likes Brett Boone, two days from now, he's going to be behind the plate. And that 2-2 pitch mm-hmm. on the corner, and we're splitting hairs, and it could go either way, the human element's going to come out because I like Brett Boone, and I'm going to say ball. Yeah. And that's the edge you're trying to gain. And in the meantime, you formulate relationships. And I liked a lot of the umpires. They're, most of them are pretty good guys. There's a few I, I didn't really sure. care for. But I think it's really important to have that rapport because that guy at second base tonight – He's going to be behind the plate in two days. And you know what? He's going to go back to his other umpires and go, hey, that young kid, Booney, that rookie kid, he's actually a good guy. That's going to get around the league. I tell the young kids, even at the college level, find out the umpire's name. Yeah. You'll blow them away. You come up as a freshman in college, tap the umpire on the shin guard to start the game and say, hey, Joey, have a good one today. First of all, Joey's going to look at you and go, how does that kid know my name? Yeah. You know, now you go to rookie ball, A ball. You do that to that umpire. He's going to be, he doesn't expect that. You know, it's, go out to your position. Let's call it a shortstop. Umpires, you know, kind of blocking your view. Instead of the typical, and this is very amateur, we don't call them blue in professional baseball. That's more college, high yeah. school. Hey, blue. No, no. You don't do that. But if you were to say, hey, Jimmy, could you give me two steps to the left? Jimmy's going to go. I'm impressed that guy knows my name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the Pioneer League, and this guy knows yeah. my name. You know, I, I don't know whether I'm coming or going either. I'm, I'm fighting in low A ball just yep. like that player is. The fact that he took the time to go out of his way gives me, in the human element, I got positive feelings about right. that guy. And tonight, after the game, where those four umpires just, just did a nine-inning A ball game, and they're sitting around having a beer after the game, and they go, that Jones kid at short, he's a good kid, man. He knew my – hey, he came up to the plate. He knew my name too. Yeah. That goes a long way, and it's a subtle, and it's an easy thing to do. I tell hitters, start at a young age. Start at the lowest level. The word gets around, and you get a real positive a positive okay. reputation with the guys yeah. that are calling balls and strikes. Did it help you at all because your dad was a catcher for over 20 years that your dad had a relationship with a lot of the umpires that you ended up playing with? Oh, I'm telling the opposite. Really? The opposite. <laughs> Holy shit, your dad's a good I guy. Got, I got to, well, and, and I don't know if you remember when I came to the big leagues, I had a little bit of a swagger to me, a little? a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, <laughs> and a lot of people were thinking, oh, this Boone kid thinks he's this and that, and I really didn't. I just, my hair was on fire, and I just wanted to hit everything I could as hard as I can. And, and that rubbed a few people wrong. So those umpires back then, and the umpire was a little different back then. The rules were a little different. They weren't critiqued like they are now. They weren't micromanaged. They didn't have stats how they were doing. It was kind of the good old boys club, and once you're in, you're in. And you never could get fired. They had a real good basic agreement. So these veteran umpires, and it's like they were testing me. And I, there'd be a ball six inches off the plate strike and i all right i'm a rookie i can't say anything but i really want to yell at him and it got to a point and this is this is great and i've told this story before uh famous umpire passed away 
I don't know how long ago, but he's no longer with us. Eric Gregg. Yes. Oh, yeah. Famous Marlins sure. World Series. Oh, oh man. And I'll tell you, from day one, I kept my mouth shut. I kept my mouth shut. You know, I was a couple years in the league, and it seemed like every pitch that was close, if it was a question, it was a strike on me every time. So I'm sitting in Pittsburgh. It was either Pittsburgh or St. Louis. I go out to a bar. Uh, I think it was after a day game. Eric Gregg's sitting at the bar. He's got a big hat on. He's smoking a big, long cigar. And I've got probably a year and a half in the big leagues. And I'm sitting over there, and I had a couple beers. And who am I not to go poke, right. the, poke the bear here? Yeah. So I belly up to the bar. I said, hey, buy this guy a drink. Buys him whatever he's drinking. Eric Gregg looks at me, kind of a smile. He says, hey, youngster, or something like that. And I said, Eric, I got a question. <laughs> so I got one question. He said, what's that, Brett? And I said, uh, did my dad do something to you? He goes, what are you talking about? And I told him that story. I said, every time it's close, you screw me every single time. Oh, no, I don't. This and that. From that day forward, every close pitch. Ball. Nice. Nice. Good job. So that's yeah. That's just networking, man. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's smart. And you it, call it kiss and ass, but it's really not. It's business. Does it boil down to respect, Brett? I think so. I yeah. think so. A lot. You know, and, and I said, the game is different now. These guys are critiqued. It's tough. Every pitch Stressful. is logged, and, and they got data on every Social sh- media. First of all, I think as a professional, no matter what you're doing, if you're a player, you're a coach, or whatever you do in the game, I expect you to go out there with the highest integrity you could possibly have. Not everybody does that. Mm-hmm. I think today's game, they're forced to because they're going to be graded on it. And, and I think, for the most part, us as human beings, us as professionals, you go out and you do a job and you don't hold a grudge. There's certain players you can't stand. There's certain players you respect a lot. But it shouldn't affect that strike zone while you're doing your job. Unfortunately, it does. I think in today's day and age, they can't get away with that. Because if they're consistently sticking it to certain people, it's going to come up. There's too many eyes on you in 2021. Yeah. And, and that old school, uh, good old boys club, yeah. It really can't because now you can be fired for it. Yeah, that's something else. All right, got a, another umpire thing for you. Just curious, as Jeff and I, you know, watching the game, we were very close the other night, but there's always something about baseball that kind of makes me laugh that you as a batter can take a pitch and you can call it a strike and you can go, is, our, is that as far outside as you're going to go tonight or as high as you're going to go tonight? But if the pitcher says it back, he's out of the game. He's ejected for for basically questioning anything in the strike zone, but you can say to the umpire, "Hey, is that as far? Is that as low as you're going to go? High as you're going to go outside? Whatever." You can have a conversation back there. You aren't showing him up. No one in the stands knows what you're doing, but you're getting an idea of what his strike zone is during your at bat, where the pitcher can't say anything from sixty feet away. Everything is. You ever get? You ever? You ever get into an argument or something with your kids or whatever it is, and, it, and it's not about the substance of the argument. It's about the tone. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with umpires. It's not what I say to the umpire. It's how I say it. Um, I don't like that. Is that as high as you're going to go there, blue? <laughs> you going to kiss his ass anymore? Are you t- you're giving yep. him, you're anointing him God right now saying, is that as far outside you're going to go? Yeah, kid, get back in the box. Now, another way you might say it is, well, can you bleep me here? That's a fucking ball. Yeah. Get better. <laughs> now, you can say that. 
under your breath in a professional way. I would say it all the time because you think by by saying, hey, is that as far as you're going to go? You think he's going to respect you less or more from that? Right. Less. You say, get fucking better now. That's a ball. He might get pissed, but he's going to go, wow. Yeah. This guy's got some balls. Yeah. (laughs) Reminds me of a famous clip I saw. So it's how you say it. (laughs) It's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's tone. It's, It's a respect level. I didn't call him an idiot. No. I didn't say you stink. I said you need to get better because that's off the plate, and I know it's off the plate. He might go like that. He might step back, get angry at me, yell at me, but when he's really thinking about it, he's probably right. I just missed that pitch. I got to get better on that next pitch, and he usually does because I'm not disrespecting him. I'm just letting him know this is my job, Yeah, and I care a lot about it. You got to do your job. I want you to care equally about your job. And to... And to Dave's point, Dave, wouldn't that be the catcher, though? Wait a minute. Can you guys bleep my, uh, my no. stuff? We don't bleep anything. <laughs> no, Wait, did you hear us kidding. cussing the whole time? I'm kidding. Yeah. On but, this show, don't worry about it. But, Dave, that, Brett, that could be the catcher, right? Like, the catcher because... Oh, catcher, the best catchers, they're, they're, they're working them the whole night. Yeah. Catcher's two-pronged, though, you know, because he's got to hit, too. Yeah. Yeah, true. But that umpire's going to respect that catcher for defending his pitcher, especially when he knows he's right. Sometimes umpires are having a rough night. Doesn't he's, mean they're not trying. To the, to the best of your knowledge, and I, I would think you're very strong to this, so that's interesting. If I'm the catcher, Dave, and I'm wondering, hey, is that where we're going? Better to do it, better results for me with you in the box or with Edgar walking up when it's basically just me and him? That's, a, f- that's a feel. Yeah, that's I got a feel. Know. That's when is the right time. When is yeah. the right time? Because I don't want him to feel like I'm showing him up in front of you. And I'll tell you, usually the, the good ones... The catchers that, that use their discretion, mm-hmm. uh, they don't let me hear. Oh, wow. I rarely hear it. It's usually I step out of the box in between pitches mm-hmm. where it's not showing the umpire up in front of the bat. Yeah, right. No, the good ones, they get it done in the right way. And this umpire, he appreciates that too. Yeah. Because like I said, these umpires are humans. They're going to have rough nights too. Yeah. And sometimes they know they're having a rough night. But if the dialogue is professional and constructive, I think that I think the umpire appreciates that. Now, if you're right. going to yell and grandstand and let yeah. everybody that in you know within a stone throw can hear you, well, he's not going to appreciate no. that because now it's more theater. Yeah. But he's getting things done. You mentioned the pitcher. There's ways for pitchers to do it. I mean, you're going to throw your hands up in disgust and drop a couple f bombs on the mound when everybody's watching. That umpire's not going to like that. But there's a way to go about it. There's in-between innings. There's some discussions that can be had in a professional way when the cameras go to break. The guys that are really savvy and know how to do it, get it done. And usually they have a good rapport with that umpire. The umpire respect. There's a mutual respect there. So there's ways to do it. I understand what you're saying, the optics of it. The, the visual sometimes is if that pitcher says anything, he's going to get thrown out of the game. But there's ways to go about it. You know, here's the the interesting thing for me watching, you know, whether it's Tatis or Machado, any of these guys that are great, doesn't matter how good you are, because everybody as a hitter gets a bad call against them. But it's not always the third strike that affects that bat. It could be the first strike or second one that is off the plate that just completely fucked his at bat the rest of that rest of the time is there. Well, so you go two one two two one. That, yeah. I mean as many games as and you've now seen, how big is that? And he yeah. doesn't know where the strike zone is now. It's like, okay, it's one two, but he just fucking called a strike on strike one. 
So now I do have to go fishing because I don't know if this guy's going to screw this up again. And you see it a lot. And, and as a fan, you're like, well, I get four chances a game to watch Tatis. He just took in a bat away from our star, you know? And I, I understand there's a human element to it. But, man, the, having the square that they have up for every game now that we watch as fans, and we know if it's a strike or not a strike when a guy misses, as, as you said, there's so many eyes on you. I mean, we're sitting in a, in a garage watching the, the games going, dude, he blew it. He blew that call right there that affected the rest of that at bat. But, and, and, and I understand the, oh, man, the entertainment value of having that exit velocity and the gun and the little square box for our viewing pleasure. That's all great. It's a detriment to the players and the umpires. Because what I, what I always considered a great umpire was he would establish his strike zone. The human element is, I mean, you cannot get it down to, to centimeters on what the edges of that box are with the right. human eye. You need a computer to do that. So all I ask is, and, and this is what the best umpires did, they'll establish their strike zone early, and they'll stick to it. If they're giving the pitch a little low, a little off the plate away, and they're not given the in pitch, the up pitch. So they're, they're defining their strike zone. And the good ones, and, and I would say that to them sometimes. Hey, that's a ball, Booney. That's a strike tonight. I know that's a strike. All right, enough said. Okay, but if that's a strike, that pitch low and away is a strike, that pitch in, you better be giving me, because you're not going to take it off both sides yeah. of the plate. We're going to fight there. We're going to have an argument. But, but that was my way of talking to him. Listen, and I might say to him, Pitch is off the plate, John. The pitch is off the boonie. That's a, that's a strike tonight. I'm just letting you know right now, that's a strike. That's my zone. Okay, well, I know that is. Boom, pitch in, borderline, that's a ball. Okay, he's giving me a little bit of leeway in, but I know when it's crunch time, two strikes, I got to put that ball in play. It might be an inch off the plate because I know he's doing that tonight. Usually with the Braves, usually a Glavin, a Maddox. And the reason, the, the thing I laugh about that whole 90s Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, oh, oh, if anybody got six inches off the play. Do you think umpires really went into the game? They were getting critiqued by players all over the league, fans, people in the broadcast booth. Do you think those umpires really were thinking, well, I'm going to give Glavin six inches tonight because he's my buddy? No, it's because Glavin was so good. He gave an illusion that a strike was uh, a ball was a strike because he was so good. Those umpires didn't go into that game saying, I'm giving Maddox off the plate. But when, I, when a pitch is called for, a big league catcher sets his glove, and they hit it so consistently – it's almost like an art form, yeah. and umpires yeah. appreciate that. They know when that catcher sets up, they can nine times or 99 out of 100 set up right behind that catcher, and that pitch is going to be right where that catcher was called for. Therefore, those umpires, the great ones, are going to get the borderline pitches, not because they go into it saying, I'm going to give it to you. Who wants to, who wants to watch the replay and see you consistently calling pitches two, three, four inches off the plate? No umpire that, that is worth his salt wants to see that on the replay. I just think they appreciate it. Those guys were so good, they could hit the glove. And when they miss, they miss by a couple inches. When, when a normal person misses, he misses by a foot. And I think it was just an appreciation for the great ones of the game. Hey, Brett, when they miss, and I'm thinking it's Charlie O'Brien, I think, maybe back behind the plate for Atlanta, maybe with <laughs> Maddox or, or Javi Lopez. But if they miss... Is that something that maybe 
we don't give enough credit to that those guys are so good at erasing the mistake and, and creating the illusion that they hit the glove again, even if they're off a little bit. I mean, it's framing pitches, right? But how much of that, of course, is the pitcher, but do we give a little bit of a credit, too, to the catcher for maybe hiding some of the mistakes? I do, but I, but I think it's been overblown in today's game. Yeah. I think everybody, back back in the day, it was an art, and only certain guys could really do it. Now it's been preached in any Tom, Dick, or Harry thinks he's a pitch framer you know so (laughs) we're not on tv right now but you know what i'm talking about the grab outside and the pull back yeah i mean that's amateur hour if i've ever seen it the great ones move their body with the pitch yeah it's not a who yeah see and for you guys out here you can't see what i'm doing right now but it's kind of shifting with the right there yeah you know it's like turning a double play i always took pride in i want to make my shortstop look good the great shortstops I played with made me look good no matter what. I could spin, make a great play, two feet off the bag, and they'd shift their body to make it hit it in the middle of their body, turn the double play, and that was a terrible throw I just gave them. Mm. Those are the guys I can do magic with because I trust them 100%. So along that line, give me a second baseman's perspective on what you see from Fernando Tatis. And, and I'm going to ask you actually, Brett, two ways. I'm going to ask you what you see from a second baseman's perspective of him in the field. And then I'm going to ask you from a hitter's perspective. Let's say you're in the three hole, you're in the two hole. He's leading off, he's hitting two. Tell me what you see. But let me start defensively because that's the one I was excited to hear from you about. As a guy there at second, and that's your, that's your right-hand guy. Mm-hmm. When you look at this guy, young dude, 22, 23, when you look at him, what do you see? What stands out the most to you? Spray and Machado. There's people that are going to argue this. Machado's got a cannon. Machado mm-hmm. is so gifted defensively. No matter where you play him, I mean, there's not too many third basemen you can just throw. I think a couple of years back with the Dodgers, they just threw him at short. Yeah, yeah. And and he was acting like he's Gold Glove shortstop. That is not normal. A third baseman doesn't just go to short. Short is that one position, and I know you guys know this. That is above and beyond every other mm-hmm. position on the field. You're born a shortstop. You don't make people. They make people in every other position. Of course, I was a shortstop (laughs) through my junior year in college. I got to pro ball, and they said, boom, second base. And I said, (laughs) right on, captain. I know that. (laughs) Because I know everybody's not. I could go play short. You could put me at short for a couple days. You put me there for a month. You're going to see why I'm a second baseman. So, best arm in the game, Tatis. I agree. Over Machado, who's got a cannon. The thing I the the thing about you know let's take a Machado and a Tatis from a defensive sure. standpoint. Tat, Machado's what six seven years older than him. Uh, is he? Yeah, what's it? Tatis six? is twenty two. Machado's twenty nine. Oh wow, seven years older. Yeah. Tatis is 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 as gifted defensively as he is offensively, but he's twenty two, and you got to real you got to realize that. I remember when I was twenty two, and I was coming up through the minor leagues. And, you know, I, I had to pick my chips because I had so many chips on my shoulder. I just thought everybody would talk about me and say, hey, this kid can hit. He can hit. He can hit. Nobody would ever talk about my defense. So I started working on my defense because I, I said, no, I can play this position. I'm really good second base. I'm really good. And I worked and I worked and I worked. But it didn't get until I was 24 or 25 when I was really elite as a second baseman. So I think Tatis is in that he's doing so many things beyond his years right now that I think the defensive skill set is there. 
and he might make a silly mistake here and there, but the talent's undeniable. And I think Fernando can be as good as he wants to be defensively at short, just like he is offensively. What he's doing at 22 years old, I I think now because there's a lot of young talent in the game, we're starting to take it for granted a little bit. I know I am. Because the days of the Ken Griffey Jr. coming up at 18-19 and me being in awe because I'm a junior in college or a sophomore in college and he's hitting 20 home runs in the big leagues, that blew my mind. Then came Trout. Then came Harper. Now we've got Soto, Acuna, Tatis. Guerrero Jr. Guerrero Jr. These kids are freaks. Yeah, they're all 22, 21 years old. And to be doing what they're doing at their age is mind-boggling to me. It's a new generation. It's a new era. Things are different. When I came into the game, man, the veterans would scare you to death. You, you spoke when you were spoken to. You put on your polo shirt. You combed your hair to the side. Put on a pair of geek glasses if you want and sit in your locker. And I would tell guys that you make an all-star team, you can paint your hair blue, get a nose ring, and everybody think it was cool. Nowadays, you come to the big leagues, nobody messes with you. There's no hazing. It's like the freshmen run the uh, asylum. I don't really like that about the game. I don't like you getting your own shoe when you're when you're in Double A. I think those are things that should be earned. So I think getting to the big leagues now. Once you get there, it's not as tough when you're there because you're so accepted. Whereas when we were rookies, you know, I talked about earlier, the ump from the umpires to the veteran players to, I mean, it's like I was almost walking around scared and I had to earn my stripes. And man, it was tough getting through. And I remember the first time I felt like I had arrived. It was, I came up in 92 and at the end of the 93 season, I'm in Minnesota and I played the second half. I had a really good second half. Lou Pinello was my skipper. And uh, we had had it out throughout the year, you know, back and forth. We had a really good relationship at the end of, of 1993. And I remember we were in Minnesota, and it was about a 9-2 game. It was like the seventh inning. And he took out Jay Buhner, Ken Griffey, and me. Mm. And he said, eh, take it in. You know, he kind of waved the white flag. But for the first time, I'm sitting there taking a shower with Griffey and Buhner. <laughs> I made it. Yeah. He's taking care of me. He took nice. me out of the game early. Usually this is the time where I'm going into the game. <laughs> yeah. You know, scrub time. Yeah. And that was the first time in my career where I went, I'm here. Yeah. I've arrived. And it was such a cool feeling, but it was so hard fighting through to earn that, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying it's easier now when you're when you're a rookie playing, you still gotta face big time pitchers. But I'm just saying the atmosphere. And how you're treated, it's more of kit gloves. Like, everything's going to be all right. We want, you know, whereas us is, hey, you better not say that. You know, you bet you watch that. Mm-hmm. You know, I had Chris Bazio with his foot in my butt. I had Jay Buner every day looking, hey, what'd you say? Go, hey, go do this. Go get me a coffee. Go get me that. And we didn't know where they were coming or going. You know, I hung my locker. I hung my, my stuff up in my locker. I didn't know if I was going to be packing and going to AAA tomorrow. And I don't see that fear these days. Yeah. It's still there. It's still there. But anyway, back to – I'm getting off track a little bit. The, no, the, it's good. The talent, the, the young talent today, I don't know that we've ever seen it in the game. Yeah. This it, many at this time. This many at right. this time. And these guys aren't just like, wow, they're really good for their age. No, they're the best players in the world. Yeah. This Fernando Tatis, I said it a year ago, this is a young Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't know that I've ever, I'd ever see in my lifetime an Alex Rodriguez at the same age. But he's got that type of ability. One, one day, we might, we might 
wake up and him win a batting title and hit 55 homers. And steal and, 35. And steal 35. That's what I loved about him. Yeah. That's what I love about him. I mean, when he hits one in the gap, he's not thinking two, he's thinking three. Yeah. It's awesome to see. <laughs> yeah. It's in and, and a lot of it's that youth and that blind boom, I want to be the best, but it's really cool to see as a fan. When he oh, I love when he hits it and he's he's gonna turn a single into a double. I love that about How about him. Dave when he sidesteps Trey Turner the other day, who's a great player? When you when you have the mind and the body control to sidestep Trey Turner, you go, that's just crazy, right? That's I mean, how, how many people have a highlight reel to the degree he does at twenty two years old? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's to me, it's man, it's fun to watch. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff in the game right now I could do without. We don't need to celebrate each and everything. You yeah. know, everything now is about a brand and who you are and what shoe you're wearing and what you're going to put on Instagram. And, and I think we've gotten a little bit away from, uh, as players, we are entertainers. We know that. We get paid to entertain for three hours a night. But I was always a ball player first, entertainer second. I think today we get a little carried away with entertaining first, ball player second. That's and interesting. And, uh, but man, these guys are fun to watch. I don't like the celebration, but everything, but man, I watch, I watch Tatis. He's a rock star. He's got the look. Yeah. You know, I, from what I see, I see him do interviews. He's a kind man. Yeah. He's as talented as anybody to come along the pike since I can remember. Even Charlie Freeman, Freddie Freeman's kid, where he's waving to Charlie Freeman, his new buddy in the stands. At 22, you go, dude, that's just different. You're just There's not too many people that can come in, and I said this a year ago, when he came on the scene and and Machado came over and he signed the big deal and he was Manny being Manny, I don't hustle. Tatis came on the scene and played the way he played, and I think it single-handedly changed how Machado plays. And there's not too many people that are that polarizing that can can change the complexion of an organization. I think Tatis came in and single-handedly made everybody around him a better player. And great players come and go all the time, but there's not too many great players that have that intangible that can change the people around him. I think Tatis has done that in San Diego. My biggest thing, I think, watching him as a fan is he gets everyone on his team to also give 100% every day. And it's a long season. 162 is tough. And to see the level that the guys that, when they're in the lineup, it's like, hey, he's giving 100%, we're giving 100% every day. The Machado thing is, I think, a perfect example. I don't know Manny. I know he's a tremendous talent. I respect the heck out of his talent. But I think Tatis brought him, challenged him. Because Machado was the man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just signed a $300 million deal. You're the man. I got this young buck in town. It's making me look bad. Because he's becoming the man. I better up my game to keep up with this young buck. I don't think anybody expected somebody that good to come along. Machado was going to be the best player on the team for 10 years. Yeah. All of a sudden, within a year, he's the second best player. And his pride took over and said, I can't let this young kid show right. me up. I got to up my game. Which what? Now you've created... A great winning team atmosphere in San Diego completely changed the complexion of the organization. San Diego Padres for years have been like whatever. Now people are go- <laughs> now people now what are people saying? Wow, yeah. you got Padre tickets. Yeah. You know, how about four years ago? Shit. You, you couldn't give away Padre tickets. No, now it's like you can't get one. It's an awesome thing. It's a cool thing to see. It's the great Padre slash Charger joke is that you would go into the game and leave two tickets on your windshield. You'd come back, there'd be eight. And you'd be like, shit. Uh, we saw something really 
interesting over the last couple of months. And man, oh man, Brett, the fans locally have really gone hard after Eric Hosmer. They're questioning his work ethic. They're questioning his desire to get vaccinated. And it's weird to me as somebody that grew up watching this team. We've seen plenty of guys come through here, as you just alluded to, that did not play up. But I don't ever remember the open animosity towards a guy wearing your uniform in this particular town like we're seeing towards Eric Osmer. And I'm just wondering, through your years, either as a player, as an observer, can you remember a situation where fans just openly showed that level of anger towards a player? And guys could talk about blocking it out because you have to block out so much day in and day out. But shit, man, we, we just talked about Machado, Tatis, right? There's a lot of fun guys on this team. Kim's Jake Cronenworth is doing great things at second base. And all of a sudden, you look around the infield, yeah. and you go, well, they dig Machado, they dig Tatis, Cronenworth, and then they get to me, and it's like, hey, fuck you. And I just wonder, God dang, that seems like everything that's in your head in this game, contract aside, how do you, how do you shake that? I know his numbers are starting to come back. But he was the guy in Kansas City. He's played in World Series. Man, that seems like it's got to be incredibly tough. Well, I think he came, you know, he was a really good player in Kansas City. And he came here and he signed a huge contract. And some guys step on the gas pedal and some guys start Don't. going, wow, this is pretty cool. I made this much money. Mm. The hunger maybe went away a little bit. Like they said, Rocky, Dave, you get civilized. <laughs> now, what, now, no, but I'm not joking. No, I understand. Yeah. Now, I think in today's society, I, I think also we're playing in a very unique political BS world where everything is political. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the vaccine. It's like, whose right is it to know whether he's right. got the vaccine or not? It's the most ridiculous thing I've yeah, ever heard of. Agree with you. Uh, and that shouldn't be anywhere near the field. Um, Players, good friend of mine to this day, uh, Richie Sexton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seattle, my home. People, I, they couldn't be more gracious to, to me. At, you know, they were great to me in Cincinnati. Um, I was only in Atlanta for a year. I was only in San Diego for a year. So, you know, my two big places were Cincinnati and, and Seattle. Seattle was, when my best years were there. That helps. Our sure. team was really good when I was there. A lot of fan favorites. Uh, so that city was just, I mean, kind of have a latte, kick back, and watch yeah. the Mariners. And a buddy of mine comes to town, Richie Sexton, big th- slugger from Milwaukee, and he's hit 40 home runs three times. And he comes to Seattle, and for whatever reason, and, and this is the day, you know, I was kind of, was, I was on my last year. Uh, Edgar had just retired. John Olerud had moved on. Cammy wasn't there anymore. Basically, the only guys left from that 2001, those great Mariner teams, was, was Ichiro and myself. Mm. And it was kind of a change of the guard. It was kind of like, hey, it's, we're going to have a little turnover here. I, the writing was on the wall for me. I knew I was going to move on. And uh, they just really treated him tough. And it wasn't, it wasn't with vitriol, but it was the talk radio. It was the, he'd get booed. And, and people in yeah. Seattle really don't boo. Yeah. You know, and they would boo him. And I looked up at the end of the year, guy hit 39 homers, like 268. He drove in 121. Wow. And all they would complain about is the strikeouts. Now, in today's game, oh, oh shoot, he'd be the MVP of the league. Yeah. Um, but for some reason... And, and Richie, to this day, I talked to him and he goes, Brett, I have no idea. 
And because he is coming but from... But he was Mil- aware of it. Oh, yeah. He's coming from Milwaukee, where he was a hero. They loved him in Milwaukee. And all of a sudden, and I don't know whether it was the hangover from some of the favorites walking away, the Olerudes and the, and the Dan Wilsons and the Norm Charlton had moved on. And like I said, Cammie and, and the big one was Edgar retiring. It was only Ichiro and myself. And I don't know if it was the hangover from, hey, all the guys we love are gone and we don't like these new guys. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I saw him treat him really tough. And it was, you know, as a buddy of his and as a teammate, it was like, wow. And, and I'll tell you as athletes, we all like to be tough Mm -hmm. and, and we don't care and we don't care what you say and we don't listen and we don't read. Well, first of all, we listen, we read and we really do care. Yeah. Uh, now on the road. I took being booed and heckled and yelled right. at. I took that as a badge of honor. Yeah. You know, and, and I think whoever Reggie put it, you know, they don't boo nobody's. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool on the road when your home team's doing it. <laughs> that's a bad that's thing. Tough. And, and that's tough. And as much as we like to be tough and we're professionals and we have to play through it and have the mindset of screw this and screw that. And I don't care deep down. We do care. And, and it, it, I think it was a tough time for him those couple years. One of the things I always wonder about professional athletes is, as a fan, we say winning a championship is the most important thing. You know, we aren't into your bank accounts. We don't care really how much money you're making as long as you're wearing our favorite uniform. But for as a player, there has to be a goal in your mind that I want to make a certain amount of money where I never have to work again. And also at the same time, winning a championship would be great. But for a player, at what point does the championship become the most important thing, if it ever does? And is the money the first thing when you guys talk as players, hey, you got to get that contract. You got to play more than five years. You got to get that big contract. You got to be financially secure and then worry about the championship down the line. Do those conversations ever happen amongst players? Yeah, and I think that's, once again, that's up to the individual. I, I, I can just, you know, give you my experience and, and my thought process. And I remember situation i remember uh being in the minor leagues and i didn't really care it's like you know it going paycheck to paycheck and and paying the rent and you know my check's gone and i had a little bit of a signing bonus so you know i was a little better off than a lot of guys in a ball but i wasn't living high in the hog it was kind of i'm getting by i'm you know i'm couch surfing when i first got to a ball it's like yeah we got a couch how about 150 a month i'm like that fits my budget pretty good and i could care less because i was playing baseball every day you get to the big leagues and you see that first check and i think i was making 109 when i got the big leagues man i was i was rich you know 109 you see this check i'm used to getting 300 dollars checks now i'm getting 7500 dollars checks and it progresses from there. And, of course, you sign your, your first uh, contract where you're making some really decent money, and it's kind of cool. But you, that was never my focus. That was never. Now I got to the first big deal I signed, and I remember it was in Seattle, and uh, I ended up signing, I forget what it was, $11 million or $12 million for four years, which back then that was a, yeah. that was a big deal for me. That's life-changing money. I can build a house. I can... And that was cool. But as soon as that contract was signed, I could care less. Now it was about playing and winning. And that's all I cared about. And then then my second contract, when I was in Seattle and I signed my big deal, leading up to that big deal, that offseason, that's all I thought about is this sets me up for, man, and my kids. And 
that was important. I, as soon as I got that deal done, it was high fives and wow, how blessed am I to get to play a game and make this kind of money? That was really cool. But once I went back to playing, it was all about I got to play good. I want to be the best player I can be and help this team win, and I want to win. And I remember, you know, they'd give you your checks out on the 15th and the 1st, and, and it was direct deposit, but you get the receipt. Yeah. And me being that, you know, rubbing it into a reporter, that I'd say, hey, you want to see my check? Barry Larkin look at, did that to me yeah, once. And they'd look at I'm it. Like, yeah. They'd look at the check, and they'd go, that is unbelievable. And, you know, and then in a serious moment, I said, you know what? I thank God for that check right, right. there. That thing is awesome but I don't really care about that check right now because I'm one for my last 12. We've just lost four out of five. One day I'm going to be thankful when it's all said and done that I was able to, to make this kind of money. But at the time, I'm uh, dead serious. It was the last thing in my mind. It was all about playing good tonight, playing good tomorrow night. I didn't. The money was gone. Once that contract was signed, like I said, you have a window to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. But then when, once that spring training kicks up, it's all about, it's all business and it's all having, I'm, my goal is to have the best year I've ever had this year and we're going to win. And that's all you care about. And, and then when it's all said and done, you go home and, and <laughs> wow, that was pretty cool. Made yeah. a pretty cool living. You know, <laughs> I told a story once to Barry Larkin, who I know is a really good friend of yours. How coming out of high school, I was talking to a Reds guy and one of the guys told me straight out, he goes, look, you're never going to make it. He goes, we have a guy in our system named Barry Larkin. We have another guy named Kurt Stilwell. Your, your chances of you making aren't very good. And I told Barry Larkin the story. And they're 100% right. I would have never fucking made it. And Barry Larkin got his receipt, you know. And he said to me, hey, you want to see what it looks like? And he showed me the stub. It was like $520,000. And I was like, holy shit. I couldn't believe it, you know. But those guys were 100% right. I would have been the guy in the minors sleeping on some guy's couch with no money by the time I finally ended the dream. I would have never made it. And that's why that's why I have a big problem. And and. I can understand, uh, you know, from a fan's perspective or from someone that calls talk radio, and these guys yeah. are over, just the average guy walking through life, these guys are overpaid, spoiled athletes. Bullshit. When I see some of the success stories, and, and there was, when I see that 27 or 28-year-old kid get called to the big leagues and then get four or five years, that is the coolest thing. People don't understand. They give up their entire... Sometimes they didn't get past a high school education. They gave their entire life to this of going paycheck to paycheck. They might have a wife and two kids. And this guy finally makes it. And, and they're making the league minimum. And you're saying they're overpaid? They just gave up 10 years of their life. The, the, the flip side is they're done playing. They don't have a dime. They don't have any life skills what do they do? What do they do? They're putting they're they're putting that much money on the pass line. They're rolling the yeah. dice, saying, "I'm going for it. I'm all in." And when that pays off, that's that's one of the coolest things I, I awesome. could imagine. You know what, and Brett? What I love about that is, I think Dave and I were always the same way. When we'd get to know whether it was guys in the NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL. Dave talks about that. You see a dude that you talk to all the time, he's got a check for, you go, holy shit, that's awesome. There's no grudge. There's no animosity. I have a respect that you've been great and made my life easier. God bless you, right? I hope you get many more. But I'm I'm a numbers guy. I'm a money guy. And, and two things always freak me out. I never want to be in debt, and I never want to be broke. So when you're saying, yeah, you get that check, and then you get back to the game, 
I'm wondering, because we see these stories about guys that have made money and financial guys that they trusted took advantage of them and drained that, whether it's agents or anything else. So I'm wondering, going back to when you were a player to, to all those things, how aware were you of managing your finances at the same time while you're trying to figure out how I'm going to hit uh, Greg Maddox tonight, right? Like somebody, you got to have somebody, whether it's a wife or somebody going, hey, my XYZ check, like the bank account's going up every 15th by XYZ, right? Like we're still checking it. It's not, it's going up. It's not coming backwards, right? Were you paying attention to it? Did I you? was paying attention to it. Okay. But let, let's just, let's just fast forward. Let's say... I started making the money I made then now. Yeah. As a 52-year-old man sitting here. Yeah. I think I would have done a hell of a lot better job. Really? I know a little bit more about life. First of all, don't get divorced. That will cost you. <laughs> yeah. That will cost you. <laughs> yeah. Each kid, that's a lot more. Yeah. No, I, and my kids are great. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to c- complain about this because I've been, you know, I was able to make an unbelievable no, living. Cool. And it's and it's like wow I'm I'm lucky that I don't have to work for the rest of my life. That being said, I think we're all a little bit naive at the time, and yeah. and that wasn't my first thing. Is no, I got guys running my money that I trust. You know, I've got a wife that that pays the bills, and I trust that she's paying the bills. But I just play baseball. When you're in the bigs, how much cash is in your pocket walking around? Oh, where am I going? <laughs> I'm not going to hang out to drive. There you, you go. You're going to Cincinnati. I'm just saying, like, you never have to pay the bills, right? Like, when you're going out, like, Howard Stern said he's never had an ATM card. You go, he said, I've never been to an ATM in my life. Well, it depends. I mean, a lot of times in our circles, it's if you're the guy making the most money, yeah. you're paying all the bills. You have every dinner is on you. And every, yeah. <laughs> hey, you're taking that kid, that rookie out, and you, oh, yeah, you want that suit? Okay, you're yeah. buying suits. Wow. But it's usually credit cards. What'd you do with your per diem? Per diem, let's see, play cards on the plane. Yeah. Um, that was for the next city. Uh, I'd always tip out. Yeah. Tip out the traveling secretary and, and the, clubbies. the clubbies and the bat boys. And yeah, I'd use that cash in the next city because back then it was different. They didn't have the, they didn't have the, nowadays there's no clubhouse dues. Everything oh, is taken care of. Really? Yes. The players don't get per diem. But really? all their stuff is handled. You don't have to tip the clubby. You don't have to do anything. All your meals are catered in. And it's different than, I think the coaches still get per diem, but the players don't. Wow. Players, we used to get per diem and good per diem. Like 20, what, buck 25, 125? Uh, 125, 150 a yeah, day. Sure. But I'll tell you, if I went to, uh, you know, some of my favorite visiting clubhouses, if I'd go to Texas, or there were so many of them, mm-hmm. it was a minimum at that time, if you were a veteran player making a good amount of money, it was just kind of, if the guy does a good job, it's a minimum of a hundred a day. God so I'd damn. give for three days. I'd give those guys four hundred dollars. So my per diem's gone. Yeah, I mean that per diem went to the the guy that was giving me the Chloe's the traveling secretary. Hey, I'm going to Anaheim and my family's coming out. You know, Ron Spellacy was my was my traveling secretary. I'd say, hey, I'm going to Anaheim. By the way, I need seventeen tickets the first night. My family's going to be here. Can you get them hooked up at Disneyland? I need six tickets and. 
And the traveling secretary is looking at me, anything else? And he's got another 25 (laughs) guys on the team he's got to run. So by him doing that, yeah, he got a tip. Every time he handed me money, I handed him 100. And a lot of guys did. And Ronnie come off that plane. He's passing out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. He's coming back with five or six grand. Like, well, that's a pretty good gig. So I took care. I made sure I took care of the guys that took care of me always. So that cash and that per diem, that was usually... uh, I, I lost money on the road. <laughs> you give me a thousand dollars. You give me a thousand dollars for an eight day trip. Yeah. And by the time I tipped out, I was down a hundred, and the rest was on me. Dave, I, Dave, <laughs> I was on uh, my first thing in Brett uh, in sports. Brett, I was nineteen years old. I was an intern for the old San Diego Soccer's when they drew legit crowds and were on ESPN. We're on a flight to Dallas, and it's the same thing where they're taking per diem. And they're getting it for the equipment guy. And one guy, young guy, Rod Castro, never forget it. Rod Castro was not going to kick money in. And the vets lost their shit to the point that I thought there was going to be a fight on American Airlines. We talk about lessons of the game and different things. You talked about umpires too. But is that something, Brett, that you have to take the young guys and say, hey, listen, this is the way we do it. We take care of the traveling secretary. We take care of the clubby. Because they ultimately take care of us. We're not better than them. We're all part of the big group. Without a doubt. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell a young kid, if that, that guy doesn't do anything for you and he slacks and he doesn't help you, that doesn't mean you give him the maximum tip. Sure, I got you. But the guys that do take care, you take care of them. Yeah. To this day, I can make a phone call to Ron Spellacy and he'll do anything in his power and his Rolodex to get it done. I could call anybody at the Seattle Mariners that worked there when I was there and any favor I'd ask them, they'd be happy to do. And I'd do for them. Yeah. And it comes back. It comes back full circle. I always believed in that. My dad taught me that. You take care of people that you take care of people, they take care of you. And it's come back tenfold for me in my life by by not being a cheap dude. Yeah. You know, there there's a there's a protocol. When you're a young player and you're just getting there. Now, the money's different now. You know, you're making 500 now yeah. as a minimum. So the money's a little different. When I was coming up, it was 100. Not that 100's not a lot of money, but you're not expected to tip 400 for right. three days. You're expected to tip maybe 100. Sure. And, and it's all relative to what you're making. But, yeah, hey, as a rookie, do this. Now, you'll, you'll learn. You'll learn yeah. the system, and hey, now this guy's starting to take a little bit. Hey, you got a better locker this time. You oh. might want to throw him an extra 10 a day, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And eventually you get the locker, and, and then, you know, that's when it's a minimum of 100 a day. I don't know if they had per diem today with the sours they are. It would probably have to be 200 bucks a day, would yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's all relative. Good, oh, yeah. No wonder well, those guys stay there for 30 well, we years. We always heard that, that, that if you're a clubby, you wanted to be in the visiting clubhouse. Yeah. Visiting you clubhouse. Don't, you yeah, don't want to be in the home clubhouse. The, the money's in the visiting yeah. clubhouse. Brett, we've been going about an hour, but before you go, I want to talk to you real quick about your show. Oh, yeah. Because you have uh, major guests on, and really, I think it's one of the better podcasts that, especially if you're a sports fan, you're able to get guys that most people can't get, whether it's a big-time radio or a normal podcast, but you name the stars, they've been on. I mean, you've had Mike Trout, and you've had Pujols, and you just had Albert Bell on this week, which is fascinating. Doc Gooden was on last week, and uh, more and more bigger names that I could go on and on about, but can you talk a little bit about your podcast and some of the guests that you have on who you have coming up? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it started about a year ago, and, and you know, 
me and you talked about it yeah. and, and whether I was going to do it or not. And uh, my agent said, hey, I want you to get some reps on this side of the mic. And, and uh, something I never did before. I never did an interview before, you know. Um, it's easy when I get interviewed. This is simple for me to sit here and BS with you. I could do this all night, talk baseball. I've always done that. I've done thousands and thousands of interviews, but when you turn it around and I've got to interview you, it's a different ballgame. And it's been a pretty cool process, a learning process for me. Uh, it's been educational. You know, we talked before we went on air, on air tonight about booking guests and, and how when a guest cancels a couple days in advance, <laughs> it doesn't think it's a big deal. And you just, you just grin and bear it. Yeah, thanks. Okay, thanks for giving me a heads up. You hang up the phone. It's like, come on, you're killing me. I got to get another fill-in, you know. And, and uh, I have an appreciation for this side of the business that I never had because I've been asked to do thousands of shows. And sometimes I'd agree to a show, and two weeks later I get the call saying, "Hey, you all, you, we're good for Tuesday." Oh shoot, I forgot Tuesday night. I've got you know Jake's baseball game, so I'm not gonna be. Hey, Booney, no big deal. We'll just reschedule. Well, I realize they're just being nice now, like it is a big deal because it was all scheduled and we were ready for you. So I understand. I guess uh, players that haven't been on this side of the mic when it's a last minute cancel, like they don't understand yeah. what I've set up, the homework I'm doing behind the <laughs> scenes, the study that I'm doing, that getting the logistics, the studio, everybody on the same page. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we got to make a change. We got to get another guy yeah. for Tuesday night. So I appreciate that a lot more than I used to. Uh, but it's been a learning process. It's been cool. It's, I started off and, and I kind of didn't know but you, you, you guys have told me you find your voice after a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, uh, with repetition and repetition, you get a little bit better. I can come back and critique myself. Sometimes I do a really good show, and I'll go. Technically, I was really good. To, you know, and I never think like that before. But technically, I was really. Some shows, the shows are phenomenal because the guests phenomenal, and I got them to say everything. And maybe technically, I wasn't that good that night, but it doesn't matter because of the end result was great content. And what we think about is when I'm listening to a radio show and I get to the driveway and there's 10 minutes left and I keep the car running and finish it, that's a good show. And nobody cares about the X's and the O's and the technicality. So I'm learning all those things. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a challenge. I've had to kind of, you know, when I was a player, I would never call another player and ask them to do an interview. Yeah. So, so I've learned to have no shame a little bit. Sure. I'll just, I, the, the Barkley thing was the best. I haven't talked to Charles about 10 years. And I was sitting there. I was getting my tires rotated. I'm like, damn it, Barkley didn't call me back. <laughs> and I just called called Charles, and he goes, this is Chuck. I said, Chuck, it's Booney. Listen, you didn't get back to me. I need you to do my podcast next week. Hey, Booney. And it was right. He was going to the Hall of Fame. They were, they were doing a tribute to Kobe. And he said, hey, I got to do this Kobe thing this week. And what about next week? I ended up getting him on. It was yeah, I mean, Charles, you can't go yes, wrong with Charles. Right. He's a great guest, but it's the stuff like that. It's, it's like, it's kind of cool when it's all said and done. Oh. It, sometimes it's a pain chasing a guy I want to take because I don't want to put my friends in predicament either. Hey, give me his number so I can call him. You know, when somebody calls me and say, says, give me so-and-so's number. My first thought is I got to clear it with so-and-so yeah. before I give you so-and-so's number. Yeah. You know, so I know how that is. It's professional etiquette. Uh, fortunately, I know a lot of people and, and my life has led me. My family knows a lot of people. So it's a little easier for me to get the guests. But nonetheless, I do it all myself. And, and I find that it's it's more personal that way. 
And I know if a friend of mine or somebody from my past came up to me and asked me when they get me in front of them, it's really tough for me to say no to them. So I understand that effect too. It's been an educational process. It's been fun. Uh, it's starting to get bigger. Yes, you know, it's starting to get a lot of reps, and uh, we'll see where it goes. It's awesome. Uh, I got two things for you before you go. I'll start first with the podcast. I'll, I'll tell this. I've said this to you before, but we've said this on the show when you're gone. For for the Malcolm Gladwell, Dave and I have been lucky enough to do this ten thousand hours. So, you were a guy that came in studio with us at KFMB a thousand years ago. We'd never met you. You came in. You, you were just bullshitting off the air. You hit a funny bone that made us laugh and engaged with us where we have said, Brett, way before this relationship established, people would say down the line, hey, look back at three, four guests that you had that just stood out. Your name would always come up. You were on one time. So what I would tell you is, you look what we do here. When Dave and I used to do the radio show, fuck, Brett, we had notes and liners and everything else, and you got in your own head. It's baseball. We don't bring shit in. Trust your instinct. You're going to be fine. We knew from that show... The booking story that I'll tell you is Tom Glavin. I called Tom Glavin because when they used to do the uh, celebrity pro-am at Pebble Beach, I would literally just bang rooms and the lodger just put you through to everybody. Call Glavin's room. Say, hey, we're from San Diego. We talk about the tournament. He goes, you know what? I'm just starting a movie with my kids. He goes, tell you what, you call me tomorrow night. He goes, what is it, 7.30? I go, yeah. He goes, you call me tomorrow night at 7.30, I'll be here. I'm like, this is the ultimate blow-off. But what a nice guy to do it. Next day, circles around. I leave my 7.30, which is my prime window open. I'm like, fuck it. Chips are in. I call. Can I have the room with Tom Glavin? He picks up. I go, Tom, it's Chef in San Diego. Hey, man, I was waiting for you to call. Let's go. Fucking guy. You go, nails. Right? You just go, that's great. But I got one final baseball question for you. My, I have two sons, twin boys. Somewhere I've got a picture. They used to be there this small with you one of the first times you came in. My one son is all about the stats, right? Knows everything he's playing. He, he just follows it. And his brother just digs the game. He couldn't give less of a fuck. He just, hey, he just digs players, right? He likes Cronenworth, Tatis, Machado. He likes them all. And the thing is, I'm finding myself watching the game more with him than my first son because you get the numbers obsessed, right? And just to enjoy, like... Like, when I watch a movie, I don't really give a shit what kind of filter was used to get the shot. I just want to see the movie. Right. So, long-winded way of asking is, I see all these people losing their shit about the shift, right? We're watching Manny throwing guys out from right field. I think that's cool as shit. But you're a guy who played second base. You're an old-school guy. You're a throwback guy. But when you see the shift, which would be different, you could be moving. You could be booney. You're getting out to right. You're playing center, whatever. There's people that are like, we got to ban the shift. David, I say, just hit against it. Drop a fucking bunt down. The game will be different. Booney, you're an old school guy. We, we love your opinion here. When you see the shift, what's your thoughts on it? I don't mind it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know, and I'd love to see the data because I've never seen it. But I want to see over 162 game schedule played out on a computer. Because I had this conversation, and I, I will, he'll remain unnamed. Sure. But I was sitting in the booth one night at a game, at a Padre game. Mm. It wasn't the Padres booth, though. And there was a general manager from a visiting team. And I was sitting in the thing. He said, he said that question to me. Booney, what do you think of the shift? Now, this is a few years back. I said, well, 
because of the era I came from, I don't like the shift. I like second basemen to be second basemen and shortstops to be shortstops. And I, I said, why do you ask? He goes, oh, I'm just wondering. I said, you know, I, the first thing I would be thinking if they shifted on me is, how can I beat this shift? Yeah. If I'm left-handed and they leave that side open, I'm going to bunt every single time yeah. to lead off an inning, whether yeah. I'm a power hitter or not, until you stop shifting me. That's how you beat the shift. Yeah. How do you, I don't like being shifted. Well, make them not shift on it. How do you do that? You beat the shift in other ways. You find ways. Anyway, I went through this long-winded answer, and I said, I've got a question for you. I said, what does your analytics say in a 162-game season? What difference does it make? And he goes, to be honest with you, preliminary stuff we've come up with, it's about a wash. And I said, so you got guys running X's and O's yeah. all over the map, and it's a wash. Why are we doing it? He goes, just the way the game is. So basically the analytics have overrun that. Now, I don't know if that's 100% fact. Sure. That's one general manager sharing that with me. I don't mind the shift at all. I think it's it's a strategic thing, and you can play defense however you want. I would yeah. love hitting against these shifts right now. They wouldn't bother me one bit. thing that bothers me more than the shift are the new rules in the game. I hate to have to slide into second base, and you can't take out the second baseman. That eliminates the elite second baseman. I always... How you become a great second baseman, and this is just a selfish thing, how you separate yourself is the guys that can turn the big double play with Kurt Gibson coming in to rock your world yeah. with the game on the line. And I had that ability to turn that big one, and you couldn't get me. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about, at second base, it's not make, about making the routine play. Most big league infielders can make the routine play. But when the game's on the line and it's nut crunching time, I want that guy barreling in on me, and I'm going to turn that big double play. Nowadays, anybody can turn a double play yeah. from second base. I can bring a shortstop over. I can bring a third baseman over. A right fielder can turn a double play. Now, that's what bothers me more because there's no way to separate yourself as elite as a second baseman. So that's the selfish part. As far as the shifts, they shouldn't ban the shift. You can do whatever you yeah. want. Make an adjustment. Be a better hitter. That's what I need to start seeing in the game yeah. now. We talk about these great young players, and the great players today are still the great players. What I'm seeing is there's a big gap between the great players and everybody else. I've and, and this is probably I'm being a little extreme. But there's a lot of guys out there killing it at 320, 330, like there always has been. But there's a lot more people hitting 220 and 210 than there ever has. And I don't know what the reason for that is. I think it's how the kids are coming up today, what they're taught, what they're taught is important. Uh, this Albert Bell thing that you're talking about on Friday, so awesome, the segments he had. And he said, Brett, I, I have a tough time watching this game because I was watching a game the other day. There was a runner on second base. There was no outs. 2-0, he throws him a strike with a slider away. Next pitch is up and in comes out of his shoes and fouls it back. He ends up walk or he ends up uh, punching out. Obviously he he doesn't know the situation of the game. You move the runner there so the next guy can hit a sack fly so you can have more points than the other team. Yeah. And I sat there and I said, Albert, this is so awesome. This isn't coming from a, a, a 260 hit. This is coming from a guy that's hitting 52, 49, right. 48. And he's emphasizing how important it is to play the game right. Yeah. I just thought, this is what we need more of this. I'm, I'm all for the changes. I'm all for 
more of this and that. It is an entertainment game. The the physicality of these players today is unbelievable. Otani. The talent is unbelievable. I love it. Yeah. But I like I want to see the game played right. I I, I want to see I don't want to see with a runner on second in a 2-2 game in the eighth, you, you, the first pitch is a right-handed hitter. You rip it off the freaking tarp in left field. Yeah. That's not how we play the game. Uh, so I'd like to see changes like that. But as far as the shift, no. It's, it's your prerogative as an organization to defend your opponent however you want. This isn't the NBA. This isn't, this isn't zone versus one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So there's my longest answer in the world, short answer. One final thing. Circling back to when we talked about Hosmer, when I went around the infield, because certain things, this will drive me nuts if I don't give you the chance. When I went around the infield, I mentioned Cronensworth. Love him. And, and your eyes peaked, but then we got to Hosmer. It'll make me crazy if I let you out of here without, because it, it looked like you had something you wanted to say about Jake Cronenworth, and I didn't want to let you leave without giving you that opportunity. Cronenworth is just a guy I saw a couple years ago. When I started to kind of pay attention to the Padres, because, you know, doing shows and yeah. doing 20-minute spots here and there, I was kind of getting updated on the Padres. And I just watched this Cronenworth kid. And I said, there's something about that guy. That guy's a ball player right there. Something about him when he puts on his uni and he steps in the box. I can't explain it. Yeah. But there's something I see, and I go, he's a good player right there. That's a baseball player right there. He doesn't have to tell me. I, I, I you, I don't even have to see a swing, and then I see a swing, and I'm my instincts are correct. There's certain guys that I just watch the way they walk, the way they approach the game, ends up being the way they play the game. They're just good players. Now I don't know what his ceiling is. Yeah. Is he ever going to be a, an MVP type player? Probably not. No. But he's going to be a heck of a good player that's going to have a chance to make a few All Star games. Without a doubt, I love the way he plays the game. He gives you a good at bat. He gives you a professional bat all the time, and he plays a good second base. Dave, we got to get him back. We never talked to Otani. We didn't talk about the pressure of the trade deadline. If you're a Padre team that's five games out, are you looking at your GM to make a trade? Are you using that as a crutch, or are you able to block it out? Shit, Brett, there's so much to cover. But we didn't even good. ask you about uh, about your brother. The first time he's probably feeling heat being the manager of the Yankees. Son of a bitch, you Ooh. take that back, Dave. Goddamn, he is me. feeling the heat. Uncle Aaron. <laughs> You want to be a big league manager in New York. Look at you. He's going to be fine. And yeah. at that New York thing, man, it's a beast. Yeah. It's a beast. There's high expectations. But I summed it up with, you're the New York Yankees. You're expected to win the World Series. It's all about the players that you have on the field. And all due respect, he's been a good player. He's been a great Yankee for a long time. If you've got Gardner as your everyday center fielder at 37 years old and you expect to be a world yeah. champion, probably ain't your year. Nope. Also, you don't have a shortstop and a bunch of other things. Hey, by the way, talk to your, talk to your dad into telling Rizzo to trade Scherzer to the Dodgers. Um, a little birdie told me that might be happening. I like it. I like those birdies. I drive all the way down here from Carlsbad to listen to that shit, Brett. (laughs) Fucking guy. This is right here. There's the bad teammate, Brett. You want to see him right here? That's the guy. That's the guy who shortchanges the clubby, and then he uh, he gets the crocodile arms when he's coming in. (laughs) Brett, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're the greatest, brother. All right, guys. Thank you. Tell us, A, number one, the name of the show. I know you're on Spotify and and iTunes. It's it's everywhere you can get the – anywhere you can get any pod. Apple, Spotify. I don't even know all of Brett Boone podcast.com. It's got them all there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Great to see you, brother. Thanks. Uh, That's a lot of fun. I I like when Brett Boone's in. 
Because I think, Dave, we just talk baseball. And, and I, I enjoyed what he said about a lot of different things tonight. Fuck, that guy's so good. And then I've not done a good enough job of following the podcast. My apologies to Brett. But I love the guests he's getting. And uh, it's just fun for me. And I, I meant what I said to him. People have said to us over the years, guests that stand out. You and I said it way before he started coming in here. He was always, when we thought back, just because he was really, really good on the air and funny and, and left, you, left an impact. You know, you've said this a lot. You said you always like to be around guys that see a game that you don't see. That hope, yep. I hope for the people that listened to that last hour with Brett, they, that's exactly what was going on, that hopefully you learn something or you, you see something different through the athlete's eyes who are actually on the field, not yeah. while you're just sitting in your seat or what you're used to growing up and what you thought. He's telling you exactly what he saw. And, of course, he grew up in a baseball family. Coaching with him for years was awesome because you oh, would sit in the dugout and he would tell you how things really were and how great they were and – and uh, it's funny, he always told the kids, there's nothing better than this age of your life of playing baseball. Then he would turn to me and go, that's a bunch of shit. <laughs> nothing like being in the major leagues. There's nothing yeah. like being in the major leagues. But uh, it's, it's always a lot of fun, um, and, and it's great having them on. And we want to uh, knock out some of the things on the show. Of course, we have uh, the, the questions and everything else. But first, want to mention the guys that helped put the show on there. Dan Williams. Dan Williams is the guy that wants to help you borrow smart, repay smart. He's also the guy that will get you out of debt and help you buy that first home. So many reasons to call Dan Williams right now. And many of you, of course, have questions about your financial debt. How can you get out of it? Call Dan Williams. Don't be that guy that stresses out every month and think, how am I going to make it? 858-688-6813. 858-688-6813. Don't forget the Borrow Smart 2-Minute Tuesday. Check it out on YouTube. Every week, Dan Williams will give you some advice that could save your life. Well, I think a big thing that, that a lot of us are seeing right now is you're getting the letters. Man, I'm so sick of getting letters from the IRS where you go, what does this mean? And it turns out it's a marketing letter from our friend Joe Biden letting me know that he's sending me 250 bucks a kid. And you go, oh, this is really great. Until you find out, hey, is this an advance on my tax return for next year? So maybe that's one of the questions that you talk to Dan about. Hey, this money that's coming in, uh, 250 a month, I got three kids. I'm getting 750 a month. Dan, should I keep this money? Should I bank it? Or a year from now in April, is this money gonna, am I gonna have to pay this back? And if I've spent all that money, right, on Luke Combs tickets, shit, what am I gonna do now? Can I turn that money down? Can I call the IRS and say, hey, you know what? I don't want it, or can I put it to work for us? I don't know the answer, but Dan Wood, 858-688-6813. Brian Curry's you wanna talk to when it comes to real estate right now. Look, there's so many questions people have about real estate. Just now, I just checked my phone out, and someone sent me a picture of a home saying, can you believe this house goes for this amount of money in today's market? It is incredible what houses and the value have gone up. I'll tell you, just in my neighborhood alone, the average house has gone up more than $500,000 in the last few years. That's insane. $500,000. So you go, okay, what do you do with the home that you currently have? Is now the right time to sell? Look, we can give our opinion. Our opinion doesn't mean jack shit. You're going to be living in a box. What are you going to do? Really? You know what to do? Yep. Where are you moving next? I'm calling Brian. <laughs> you call Brian. Brian Curry is the guy you need to talk to. That's what Jeff and I would do. Look, let the pros do it. He's been doing it more than 25 years, especially in a situation like this that is so unusual. Call Brian Curry, 619-251-1588, 619-251-1588. How many of you are like me that when you buy the house, you pretty much want it to be turnkey? I don't want to have to That's go me. in... 
right? Now, the condo, which is very funny. I'm living in my condo again for the first time in three years, and I'm there for another four days. But it's kind of fun because I remember going in, and the asshole who lived there before me, what a blind sack of shit they must have been. Dave, the walls, it looked like they had taken a, a white wall like this and then taken a sponge into canary yellow paint and then put sponge marks all over the wall. It was the most atrocious thing. I'm like, was this a crack house? Where, what did I buy? <laughs> but what's very funny is when I'm back in the condo, I can remember Thanksgiving Day 2018 and painting that while my entire family, my sons had just turned a year old, and I was there with my mom, and we painted the entire house. I'd never painted a house in my life. I had an absolute blast. But I still look up at the ceiling and there's smudge marks and I laugh my ass off because I, it doesn't bother me. I look back, it's one of my favorite days. And, and you remember that excitement. And that was one of the few things that we had to do. And that's the way I want it to be in the future. I don't want to have to go in and redo the floors. I don't want to have to scrub the blood stain off the carpet. <laughs> I don't want any of that. And why I feel so confident that I will be able to get that is because Brian Curry's on my team and he should be on your team as well. Absolutely. Look, also, don't forget about that brand new pool you're going to want with that brand new house that Brian Curry's going to help you find. Well, guess what? Taylor made pools can help you out. Alan Taylor is the guy to call when it comes to putting that brand new pool in. So many people we know, I know at least four people that are getting pools put in right at this moment. This is the time to do it. The weather's so damn hot. How great would it be to spend one of these great summer nights jumping in your pool at the end of the day, having those weekend barbecues, having the pool parties, everything that goes with having a pool. Everyone knows what it's like. Taylor made pools. Alan Taylor, no one does it better. Make your backyard a staycation. 619-449-4452. 619-449-4452. I want to thank Paul. I want to thank Mike Castillo. And I feel like there were two others of you. My apologies to you that I am um, not able to remember who it was. But the other day, I mentioned the fact that Halo Hotties reached out to me. I yeah. Uh, but I was thrilled that they did. And we said here, hey, what's going on? We have some of the most gorgeous girls in the world in this community. And they're going to Padre games. Son of a bitch, if you guys didn't bail me out. You guys threw me a lifeline. When I was sinking in the quicksand known as Dave Palais' bullshit. <laughs> Padre Pretties, Dave. Did you see this shit? No, I had no idea. It's on, it's on goodness, Instagram? Yes. I've been hooked on Halo's Hotties for the last couple days. I'm telling you, this Padre's page. Holy cannoli. Is every girl drinking a beer with their tits hanging out? Because I've seen a bunch of those. You talking about Michelle? Michelle's a goddamn treasure. I love Michelle. She's great. She is the funniest one, right? Oh, uh, she is great. Because she's always. We, if we do a listener party, I just want to hear all the bullshit that comes into her DMs, right? No kidding, right? That's a great call, guys. It's like, dude, just know what your limits are. Stay in your lane. Just be happy that she lets you follow. No, I was her. not a shot at Michelle. Please don't take it that way. Dude, I, she's actually, cool as shit. I, I met her for a brief second when I went to the Padre game with uh, Woods. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, we, I told you when we were at opening day, I saw her. I was like, "Hey!" It's like I. It's funny when I see Ryan Cohen or a handful of the others from Padres Twitter. I get fired up to see you guys. Uh, it's Padres Pretties, Dave. Look at I'm this. I'm on it already. Uh, are you fucking it's kidding good. me, what right here, Dave? Wake up! Oh, nice. 
Nice is, is a, right. Hold on. Is that a real Padres fan? You're goddamn right Bullshit. it is, Dave. Don't, don't, who is this? Miss Regina. My goodness. I'm not buying it because You're the, an angel. the trees in the background are like turning yellow and shit. Where's that at? She's right here in Del Mar. Look sure at this. Sure she is. God damn it. There's that yellow hat we were talking about with the guy with his finger in his nose. She's wearing the same hat. Look at this, Dave. It must have been hot where she was. She had to take that off to avoid dehydration. That's New Zealand. Not New Zealand. Not cool green New Zealand. You asshole. She's not drinking ever be or whatever that shit was. Used to sell, try to tell people their nails are getting stronger. There was one girl I saw in here was wearing like a Laker bikini. Yeah. And then she said, I've never been in the United States in my life. <laughs> uh, the point of all this being Sorry. is that TaylorMade Pools... You can just go right to this Padres Pretties page on Instagram and tell Alan Taylor, hey, you know what, Al? i tell you what. I want my pool to look like her. Wow, look at that. Yeah, another Padre fan. She's got that blue hat. I know. I tell you what, she's the only one I give Who's a pass to for wearing the old blue. Not me. Then you got, I mean, this is just unbelievable. If I see a miserable Padre fan on here, I'm out. He's there. <laughs> Sun's out, gun's out. Uh... <laughs> Tell Alan Taylor and the folks at TaylorMade Pools, you just scroll. Just play Padre Pretty Roulette. I just like it. let it fly. This might be better than the Halo Hotties. It might be. And the Halo Hotties are some kind of something. <laughs> so all you got to do is go right to Padre's Pretty on Instagram, the greatest page ever. I just stop following everybody. I, I miss anything. It's all I do. Fantastic. Uh, go there. Tell Alan Taylor and Amy. You know Amy's going to be like, you're getting your selection from where? Watch it. We're supporting the home team, Amy. Don't act up. Uh, tell Taylor Made Pools that uh, David Jeff sent you. This has become completely distracting. It's un- unbelievable. One of the girls on here is Teresa Sardina from KUSI, yes. which I wonder if she knows she's part of party, uh, Padres. She's goddamn right she is, and she's thrilled to be part of the team. <laughs> Kyle Fluger, you need to call Kyle Fluger to help fix that website. Look, call Kyle and ask him two questions. What will it take to get Craig Kimbrell to the Dodgers? Because Kinley Jansen stinks. And two, how do you ask him to say, look, you got to fix my website. I'm not making the money. I'm not getting the traffic I need. I need some major help, and that's what Kyle Fluger's for. He's an expert at it. 619-500-6621. 619-500-6621. Ask Kyle Fluger how Dave and Jeff didn't own this website. Yeah. From, it's everyone is just outstanding. Paul sent it to me first. Mike Castillo chimed in and a couple others. I think uh, I think Miserable Padre fans sent it to me too. Really? Not that you mentioned them. And uh, all of you guys are... Uh, your, your treasured souls. Um, We're in the brown. Yeah. <laughs> Barely. Feel lightheaded. <laughs> My God. Uh, what? This has come, become completely distracting. They're, they're fantastic, right? <laughs> Do they have Kurt Bavakwa's wife on her? Uh, Carrie? Y- yeah. There you go. We're in the Bavakwa jersey? Perfect. She's not. It says it's like 85 on the back. Let me see it again. Hold on. I got to find it. I started laughing my ass off. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's the one from Sports Illustrated. You have to have a website that works for you. If you don't, then you're in big trouble. Call Kyle Fluger. I got to get back to this site. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell are we doing? See, look. Ah, uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. 
That was one of the Sports Illustrators I didn't throw out. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> no, you did, did not. I just did last night. I'm going through and getting ready. Did you see what I posted on Instagram? Did you see what I found last night? What was it? I I usually catch what you put. What did you put? So last night, I went through my storage unit, and I threw away about 25 Padre media guides, about 25 Minnesota Timberwolf media guides. Oh, no. Dodger magazines, all this other shit that I didn't need. Yeah. Gophers basketball media guide from like 74 because it had Flip Saunders in it. And then, Dave, as I was going through, I found the copy of my Kiss Alive 2 album. Oh, I did see that. That I have signed by Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, and Ace Fraley. Yeah. And I got to figure out a way. We got to get Paul Stanley to sign up. <laughs> get that thing done. <laughs> get it done. Yeah. All right, here we go. July 21st, famous birthdays. Two of the three are dead. This has okay. been our theme this week. First one is, and I watched a whole story on him for two hours the other day. Robin Williams. Oh, my goodness. Heartbreaking. Um, oh, this is good. I'm going to say he would have been 64. 70. No shit. Would have been 70 today. Uh, 200 million. Or, yeah, today. Uh, only $50 million, it says. But here's the deal with Robin Williams. I didn't realize. Robin Williams was born into a wealthy home. His dad was a big exec with Ford Motor, Motor Company. Okay. But he gave a ton of money away. A ton. Like like these comedy clubs that were, were struggling, yeah. he was paying the bills. All across the country to keep these comedy clubs open, he was sitting there paying to keep these clubs open over and over again. And That's- then these divorces killed him. I uh, I remember that day when we were on the air. We talked a lot about it. And at that time, what was crazy is I was fighting it myself and was on a radio station where I couldn't talk about it. Yeah. And I remember our friend Kevin Boyle, I think, started crying. He did. We were at Charger Park. He started crying. Um, and you go, wow. Um, did he drop something there about, like, first my cat dies and now Robin Williams? Like, something, something happened with this cat at the same time. I remember just looking at him. It was still dark out. Like at six in the morning, and I'm just like, dude, you got to pull it together. We got a show to do. Philip Rivers is walking up any second. I don't even know. Stop crying. I don't even know what happened to you. You just sit here all day watching TikTok videos while the rest of the fucking world, Lee Ely was talking about you. Eighty-five <laughs> percent of the world's fucking working. The other fifteen percent are here. Print it. Print it. Rip anybody. I made uh, my buddy Nick at uh, at. My job listened to Lee Elia the other day. God damn it. Did you tell him Lee, Lee Elia got fired the next day yes. for that? Oh he goes, God. oh, shocker. <laughs> uh, so funny. Um, that one, and then uh, I've heard nothing but great things about the Anthony Bourdain movie. We talked about it the other day. That's Good right. Shit. So get out and see it. All right, another one who passed away, Don Knotts. Shh. It'd be really funny. I could see you being the guy to kind of say something to Don Knotts at a bar. And then find out the hard way that he's... Like a black belt? Yeah, and he just fucks you up. Dude, I watched an old Three's Company today. Yeah. And Don Knotts, who plays the fucking guy downstairs on Three's Company. Furley. Furley. He, dude, he's only in his 50s. He looked like he's 80. Yeah, he he's did. He's wearing a vest. He's like 58. I was like, Jesus, this guy's like a Sparky Anderson disease. Just born old looking. Tell you what, though. It doesn't take much uh, research to find out Don was a real coxman. <laughs> Good for him. Think he took down do, Joyce to win? Do you think no way? Do you think any girl ever says, "Yeah, fuck Don Knotts"? Uh, no. Never comes up in stories, right? Nobody brags about it. No. No. I don't think so. He <laughs> no. sure seemed likable. Yeah, nobody hated Don Knotts. Oh, um, Don Knotts would have been. I think old. Yeah, I was gonna say ninety-four. Ninety-seven. 
and two million. Twenty million dollars. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Last one of the night, and this guy, I'm surprised he's not a bigger star. Josh Hartnett. Yeah, what happened? I think does he have Minnesota ties? I think does he? Yeah, uh, Josh Hartnett. I think he lives in London now. Uh, forty-four. Forty-three, close. Uh, eight million. Thirty million. No Ten more shit. than Don fucking nuts. God damn! How? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Now everybody knows. Yeah. Five random questions. Do you remember your first Major League Baseball game and who played? What did you see? Uh, yes. It was the Minnesota Twins. I was a kid at Met Stadium. It was Eddie Baines, Major League debut. Really? I remember that. I feel like we were all the way down the left field line. Did your mom take you? Uh, either my mom or my grandfather. And um, I feel like the White Sox, but I can't. I can't say that for sure. And Eddie Bain did a great job as scouting director for the Angels, did not do a great job as a uh, uh, starting pitcher for the Twins. But any day at the Met was great. Yeah. The Met, Met Stadium was so fun, Dave. That dark, dark dirt infield? Yep. Uh, but the hot dogs were insane. You could go. They get hot and humid. Yeah. So old school malt cup, which I don't think they sell at the Big A anymore. I was looking for it the other day to tell you, and uh, and all the. I mean, I just love that team: Butch Weiniger and Carew and Harmon and and Lyman Bostock and Larry Heisel, Glenn Borgman. Don't fucking sleep on him. You'll regret it all week. <laughs> Roger Pug Erickson, <laughs> Dave Goltz. You want some of this? Big mouth. Didn't think so. Was Glenn Borgman on the Twins? I, I knew he was part of the Dodgers. Yeah, when he was done. Oh, my God. When he was in the prime of his career, he was a fucking twin. Don't sleep on him. You regret it all. <laughs> you will, pretty boy. Craig Cusick, Rob Wilfong, Mike Cubbage. Oh, my gosh. Steve Braun. Yeah, it's good. You remember it. Not bad I at all. I love that team. I'm impressed with that. All right, do you remember your first Padres game? Uh, I don't remember who they played. I feel like it was 1982. Um, I feel like it was before Garv got here. So I feel like it was Broderick Perkins, Juan Benilla, Templeton. Gene Richards? Yeah. Um, Terry Kennedy behind the plate. What a uh, shit team. <laughs> shit. Luis Salazar at third? Salad bar might have been at third. Jesus. Um, yeah, I think I saw, like, uh, Mark Thurman pitch. I think Mark Thurman's another guy to fuck you up. <laughs> um, I don't even know if Tony was in right. Uh, Sixto? Sixto Liscano, yeah. I think, was, was in, in right. right. Yeah. I don't think Mello was here yet. I just remember watching that going, okay, okay. This is our team. Who? Juan Bonilla? Okay. All right. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. Who the fuck are these guys? And what are they wearing? I didn't mind the unis. I didn't. I liked the home ones. I never liked the road ones. Home ones I thought were cool. Um, and now coming out to pitch for your Padres, Gary Lucas. Bink. Okay. Oh, fuck. I feel like my heart's going to come right through my chest. I don't know any of these fucking guys. Fucking their shit. Fuck, we're gonna move to oh, we're gonna move to the bay. The fucking mama could be an age fan. Shit. Oh, fuck. 
<laughs> you could have been cheering Ricky Henderson. God damn right. Who are you telling? Louis Salazar, you okay? Okay, why is this guy behind me? I have two gallons full of fucking beers. Is that shitty? Give me a tug of that. Go, 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 go. Give me a tug of that. Fucking warm, dude. This is beer and piss. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Good times. <laughs> exactly what I want. Oh, my gosh. Do you have a favorite game? You oh, wait. Go ahead. Uh, hang on, go back. Do you remember your first game? My first Padre game was... No, dr- your first baseball Yeah, my game. first baseball game was the Reds-Dodgers. Was at, I was at Dodger Stadium. And as much as I loved baseball, for some reason, I was so thrown off with the uh, grass infield that I couldn't figure out what the fuck was going oh, on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were at Riverfront. No, 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 no. I was at, I was at Dodger Stadium, okay? Okay. And this is when I lived in L.A. before we moved. And... Um, I literally thought you had to hit the ball and run around the dirt, like where because I was used to playing on a dirt infield. Oh, that I okay, thought that, I was like the guys have to run around that fucking warning track and then touch home. They're never going to score. It's too far. You've always been stupid. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do remember that. And I remember my parents buying me a Dodger hat. That yeah. was the one. It was like six dollars. Yeah, you buy that same hat now, you're looking like forty three bucks. We used to go to Windbreaker Day for the Twins, and they were just like fucking like uh, whatever that sh- whatever that goddamn banner yeah. is made of. And it, they were so bad. Yeah, that's the kind of shit that they would give us. Like my, my uncle used to take me to Hollywood Park every year. Yeah, I'd get a Hollywood Park poncho. A poncho never and a rained, never fucking rained. No, never Hollywood. rained. <laughs> But I, I and a lighter. And a, and a lighter because you know that shit was going up. Yeah. Yeah. What about your first Padre game? First Padre game was Joe Carter, believe it or not. This is when I went uh, to San Diego State. As Joe Carter was playing his one year here. Yeah. And I remember I went with my dad who came to visit. And uh, I remember they put a thing up on the scoreboard saying like Joe Carter's out of Joe Carter's um, 75% of his hits in in the ninth inning either put the Padres up or tie the game. And then he put him up. And right. he goes, you think they would have read the fucking scoreboard before they threw that pitch? And I was <laughs> I like, he, he was right. He, he was, was absolutely right. right. Because the answer was on the scoreboard. But Joe Carter was only here one year. Yeah. No, and then he was gone part of a big deal, of course, to get McGriff, which at the time, it's like, hey, fucking Fred McGriff's outstanding. But yeah, I, I do. That was, that was my first game. All right. So... Um, Speaking of Padre baseball, real quick, because I'll forget it next week. I was watching the Dodger game before Brett walked in here mm-hmm. uh, with the volume up, watching Oral do the game, Oral Hershiser. Yeah. And he's made a comment about the Giants and Dodgers. And he goes, man, when you look at these Giant-Dodger games, and then you look at the Padre-Dodger games, the electricity is so much better when the Padres are playing the Dodgers than the Giants-Dodgers. Really? Even though the Giants obviously are sure. in the first, and the rivalry that goes back you know, over 100 years he was saying the Padre-Dodger games are much better than the Giant-Dodger games. That's pretty cool. I think for Padre fans, I go, fuck yeah. That's, what yeah. We, that's exactly what we feel. But I want it to be that way down here, too. Yeah. And I, think, yeah. I, think it, I think it's going that way. I mean, yeah. I'll be honest with you. I know the stuff I, I write on Twitter drives people fucking nuts. But this is perfect for me as a guy that lives here that used to so live fun. there. That we now have something that feels real. Yeah. It's not bullshit. Of all the guys Jeff just mentioned. I'm sorry, but the guys Jeff mentioned in 82 talking about going against Garvey, say, Russell, Dusty Baker, and those guys. Fucking eye chart? Yeah. Dougie Goosh? I mean, God dang, man. It's night and day what you have right now between those teams. All right. What's the favorite, your favorite game you've ever seen in person? Mm. Any sport? Oh, I like that. Oh, let me think about that. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. 
Um, We've seen a lot of shit, but I mean, as far as favorite game in person, I, I, I don't think I wish, about it myself. I wish the pods would have clinched in 98 at home, right? Because you don't really have, I mean, you're not going to claim the Astros game from 98, right? I would say maybe, uh, I was at game three when Tempe got the crowd all fired up in 84. I wasn't there for the Garvey game or, or the clincher game five. Um, trying to think. Oh, I'll tell you, Dave, best game ever, uh, no doubt about it, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, Ravens, Giants. And you go, why does that matter? And that matters because that was pre-9-11. And I was able to get my brother in as a producer. Yeah. And produce anything. And I think I paid for most lunches. He didn't even do that. But he was down in the media room. And I remember I came down there. And he's having a conversation with Pat O'Brien. And I thought, boy, what a couple of dipshits. Look at these two fuckheads, right? Other than when he got his picture taken with Kevin Faulkner. That's my when he favorite. It. And, uh, and I've said this. The guy who was sitting next to me, I'd sat next to it a couple of previous Super Bowls. And he was leaving to catch a flight. And he was nice enough to let, to let me use his pass, again, way before thumbprints and photos and yeah. eye scans. And I was able to go down at halftime. It was Aerosmith and NSYNC and I think Britney Spears got my brother. And my brother was able to come up um, for the second half of the game. And then we were on the field. Yeah. And I, I, was, I feel like we were just talking about this not long ago. Uh, a year earlier, I had been in Atlanta when Ray Lewis had been arrested. And the guys had told me he's going away. And we watched him get the MVP. But I've had the chance to go to a couple of Super Bowls since. And I haven't. I've turned it down. Because that'll be the last Super Bowl that I ever go to. Because and it, just the other night, going through uh, that storage tub, able to find pictures of he and I on the field at Tampa. That's cool. Yeah, really cool. What about for you? You know, I tell you what. I hope uh, your story changes to my story. Is uh, I was thinking of all the sporting events, the, the professional ones we've seen in person. But when since your kids are starting football at Helix, uh, for me it was Josh going into a game against Steel Canyon. His first time that he ever played quarterback. And yeah. they were down against Steel Canyon. Josh comes in, puts a, a last-second drive together, together, throws a game-winning touchdown pass to Jordan Hines, who was a college football yeah. player, who uh, just married Robin Ventura's daughter, believe it or not. We just saw pictures he, of the – oh, you, you brought the uh, Craig Elson thing. Yeah, his old, uh, his old high school coach posted it and said, two Love guys it. with no egos. And he posted a thing, the video, that Craig Elston interviewed him on the field. But – that was awesome. Where he engineered a drive down the field, boom, they win by a couple of points, and, and that was huge. And I remember my wife was so excited, and, yeah. I, and I just kind of sat there as trying, even though inside I was losing my mind, trying to stay yeah. calm. And then he had a big game his senior year against Helix. Mm-hmm. Helix won the state championship that year, but game one, um, Josh was the quarterback at East Lake and beat Helix. It was the only game Helix lost all year. They didn't lose a game the rest of the year and won the state championship. It was at one of those games. Yeah. Very fun. Uh, I want to mention something along those lines. So my sons are playing, will be playing freshman football at Helix, and it's really cool. And last night they had a Zoom meeting between the coaches and the families. Um, my, my ex and my sons are in Tahoe on vacation for a couple of days. So I'm talking to my ex-wife, right as this thing's getting ready to go. And she's telling me about the day and everything else. And I said, hey, the Zoom meeting's getting ready to go. Are you going to jump onto this thing? She goes, well, I was kind of hoping you would cover it. I go, look, they're talking 
schedules and physicals and a lot of different things. She goes, okay, I'll jump on. So uh, Coach Rowley is just doing a great job and really nice man. I've met him a couple of times, and I just love the message, Dave. They're talking about that they want the kids to sit up front in the classes and how they take time on Mondays and break off into groups of five or ten and talk about life outside of football. Just really important things that he, he continued to emphasize. We're here. We only have them for five months, but we're trying to help establish character. We're not trying to replace parents. We're just trying to be a support. And I just loved it. And uh, Jack and Kate's mom wasn't really sure about them playing football, but I know her so well that I knew that when she heard the, the commitment that these coaches have to make not only our sons, but all the kids on that team better, I knew she would, she would love it. But I remember you and I uh, sitting here last year, we were talking about Benita Vista and some of the challenges you guys had for road games, that it was tough to get kids there. So uh, Coach Rowley opens it up for questions. And so I, I jump in because I want to know, shit, do I have to get out of work? Do I have to drive these guys? And son of a gun, Dave, if he says, well, look who's here. <laughs> and he said... Uh, he goes, Jeff, I got to tell you, hey, where's Dave Pallet? Oh, I'm looking for Dave. <laughs> and he goes, listen to you guys for so long. And he goes, it's just great. And I can't hear what he says next because my phone starts buzzing. What the hell is this shit? Did you set him up to this? It's my ex who's dying laughing. And I'm rolling, right? Because yeah. now I have to ask a question. But I'm so fired up that she was going to miss it. And I fish hooked her into it to sit there and listen to it. That's hilarious. And so uh, he was just great. And he was so nice, Dave. And he, he sent his best. And, and they've just been so great not to every kid, not only my sons. And, and the one thing I say here all the time, Dave, is I'm just going to go sit up in the bleachers. Yeah. I'm going to go sit all the way up to the right. I'm going to get away from her. Not for anything. She's great. I just want to go and just enjoy it for all the kids that I've been lucky enough to meet. My buddy Joel Nickerson, my buddy uh, Tajan and Cade and Jack and all the other kids. I just want to go up, not only for my own kids, but all these kids and just enjoy it and, and watch it. And not, I, I don't want any of that chit-chat bullshit. I just want to be happy for, uh, for my kids. But for Coach Rowley to say that last night, it meant so Very much. Nice. And uh, so the meeting ends, right? And so I asked the question. They got buses. They're covered. So I call her. Oh, boy. What? And I go, hey. I go, I don't, I don't want to commit to this tonight, but I have, I have an idea. She goes, oh, boy. Let me hear this. I go, I'm not saying yes, but you heard the excitement in his voice tonight. Nobody could deny it. I didn't hear it towards any other parent. <laughs> yeah. I go, if there's maybe one game on the schedule, where you feel like pulling the ring out of retirement to kind of soak up some of that energy, and she just starts dying. Yeah. I go, we'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs> she's like, oh, you're a doll. You're a doll. I go, put your kid on the phone. So he goes, hey. I go, hey, what'd mom do? He goes, I couldn't figure it out. She's sitting there listening, and all of a sudden I hear her go, oh, my God. And I'm like, What? What happened? Don't worry about it. You know what happened? He goes, no. And then Coach Rowley said, I'm awesome. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
And I go, and she had to hear every word of it. And my sons are dying. Mom, did he say that? Yes, but he also said he was tired and had to get up early for work. It's the best thing ever. So, oh, my gosh. Thank you, Coach Rowley. We're going to get everybody on that staff Dave and Jeff show shirts. That'd be we great. Love those guys. That'd be great. Did he, did he mention the importance of the classroom? He did, Dave, and, and I loved it. And he talked, I mean, he said, uh, he goes, listen, man, a lot of these kids are looking at algebra. He said, I haven't looked at algebra since 1976. But he said, any class where the kids are having trouble because you have to maintain a 2.0. Yeah. He said, we're going to work to make sure that the kids are committed. And he said, I know all the teachers here and we do look at report cards. But he said, I want you to sit up front in those classrooms. I want you to sit up front and do it. Sometimes it's alphabetical and you can't do that. Uh, they, I just, I was so. It's better it's just, than me. me. I literally will tell the kids. Look, your chemistry teacher doesn't give a shit if you hit over 300. I don't give a shit what you get in chemistry. Just pass the class. Fuck, I transfer out of your shitty shitty program so fast. I'd go right to where Justin Machado's You go all the way to La Casa Canyon? Right up there. Oh, my God. All right, two more questions. Did you collect baseball cards when you were a kid? No. Isn't that funny? I I would have guessed you did. Yeah, I had some. Not in the sense. I like buying them. Yeah. Did you have Piggly Wiggly in Nashville? Uh, no, remember not really. Philip yeah, used I know. To wear Piggly Wiggly yeah, shirts? no, no, n- n- not that I remember. Piggly Wiggly, I know what they had them in Alabama, but I don't remember. I, um, I just don't remember going I would there. Go we we're and Kroger's. We'd get cards. Yeah, right. The gum, the whole thing. Dude, I was a Twins fan. Yeah, like I mean, I spent one summer buying cards and then throwing every card away that wasn't a, a Dodger, which was a huge mistake. Well, if I did that, I, I might have a chance at three Twins. I remember getting a Butch Weiniger card; it was pretty cool. Um, just last night, I found a Harmon Killebrew card. Oh, wow. That um, I believe my sister got for me with a signed baseball. Um, but no, I was never a diehard collector. So now, I obviously work with a lot of people who are, and I love it. Yeah. Like, I love that they have the passion for that. Um, it's amazing. I used to buy five packs a day. So what? 20 cents a piece they were. Yeah, so remember, well, remember our upper deck packs when we came out in 89, and people were chasing the Griffey card. I think everything was around fifty cents, seventy-five cents. I think we were over a buck. Yeah. And people, but we had the foil. Yeah. Remember, it wasn't wax. No, no. We went foil. True. We had the different. I mean, you look at the old school. Oh, upper deck had the best cards. And look, man, that's the thing. Why I love those guys. I mean, we're San Diego. We've always said we've got a bit of Napoleon complex. There was a little bit of time when they were in Vegas, but for the most part, more than thirty years, that's San Diego, baby, right here, and. The innovations that they've done uh, with trading cards, I, I take a great deal of pride in it. But I, I get a huge kick out of when I see the old cards from 89. They're beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah really fun. All right, last question. It's almost 11 o'clock, believe it or not. All right, who was the first pro athlete you hated? I asked this question on Twitter yesterday, and it cracked me up, that some of the responses. Who's the first pro athlete? You just said, I fucking hate that guy. Um, Mine's so bizarre. Let me hear who yours is. Mine is Atlee Hammaker. Really? Yeah, because I was a big... We talked about the All-Star Game last week. I loved the All-Star Game. It was so important to me that the National League won. Yeah. And in 1983, Atlee Hammerker gave up a grand slam to Fred Lynn at the old Comiskey Park in yeah. the American League won. And I was so fucking pissed. Every time I got his card, I just gunned it right into the gutter. I was so fucking mad at that guy. Spit on it, and then I'd throw it. I hated... Uh, I'll tell you two guys I hated. And they're similar. I hated Jack Ham of the Steelers. <laughs> Because I thought his parents selected his last name. Jesus I wasn't Christ. the brightest guy. 
You get you name him Ham, like Jack Lambert. I was like, I'm not hating that guy. That's the scariest he looking guy scary I've ever fuck seen. Looking. Um, but then go old school. Old <laughs> he Jack Ham because he thought he picked his name. Yeah, it's so stupid. Anybody like him? Dumb, idiot. <laughs> He's like, okay, you are what? <laughs> um, and then there was the guy. Uh, oh, I'll tell you exactly. Yeah. I'll tell you exactly. Cliff Harris, Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yeah, number 43. That bald fuck. <laughs> Dude, a lot of guys in the 70s were bald. Yeah. Like, what the fuck happened? I, I know, like, Golden Richards on that yeah, team. I don't like him either. Preston Pearson cheated, but or uh, Drew Pearson. Yeah. It was Drew Pearson. Yeah, Drew Pearson catch. cheated. There was a Preston Pearson on the team. Yeah. But Cliff Harris, that guy. Yeah. He just looked like the guy that should be playing like the sheriff in Smoking the Bandit. Movies. He did. He did. Yeah. He was like, I hope they just fucking drive his car right into the pigsty. You son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. All right. We're back on Monday, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Backstreet door, I laugh so hard I hardly 